0: The passage that we come to on Mother's Day This is one of those uh, It's weird, uh, Father's Day doesn't have this kind of pressure on it That Mother's Day does for preachers I don't know if you realize that but, but boy, you better come up with something about Mother's Day on Mother's Day Or it just doesn't go well Well, it's funny, we've been going through the book of Galatians And here we are in the book of Galatians Considering in this, this, this gospel that we have been given that, that God has fulfilled his promise to us in Christ. And oh, be careful that you don't miss what's real. Easily in church, we substitute something that looks like what's real for what's What really is real? What actually has life? That is the warning of the Book of Galatians. That is the press. That is Paul's burden. That is his concern, in this passage. That in this this whole letter, by the way, in fact, but especially in this chapter, he uses a image out of the Old Testament. He uses a, a historical event. He tells that story because that story, he says, that illustrates something that you need to know about your walk with Jesus Christ as Savior. That it is what's real, that it has life, that it's not just a flat, two-dimensional caricature of what the Christian life is supposed to be, okay? That's Galatians in a, as a whole. It's especially, there's this warning in chapter 4 with this picture, and you know what the picture is? It's a tale of two mothers. And I said, whew. I'm off the hook. That's wonderful. This tale of two mothers poses the question, who's your mama? I love it. Who's your mama? Who's your mother? What legacy, what mother's legacy will you live in? And then for moms, and really for all of us as a church family, what legacy of life will we lay down so that others can walk in it? That's what's before us in the book of Galatians in chapter 4. So while you turn there, I want to start actually at the end of the chapter. I want to start with a story. I want to start with the tale of two mothers. You pick it up around about uh, verse 21 in Galatians chapter 4. If you're if you brought your own Bible, you'll find it in Galatians chapter 4. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles this morning, that's on page 825. He says, "You who want to be under the law." Okay. You think you're going to serve Jesus Christ. You're going to walk with him by keeping the law, all right? Well, you who think that way, don't you know what the law says? He says, let me tell you a story. This is the story. There were two women. Two women. Abraham had two sons by two different women. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but it was. Abraham had two sons. One of them was by a slave woman. Her name was Hagar. And the other was born of the free woman. That was his wife, Sarah. Hagar was a slave. Sarah was not. Sarah was free. Okay. Now, his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way as a, as a man fathers a son. Abraham was still able, apparently, at that time, to father a child. Sarah's womb was barren. She had not been able to, have, to, to bear a child. But apparently Abraham was still, at this, age, at this time, able to father a child. So that son, Ishmael, born to Hagar, the, the servant of Sarah, because Sarah couldn't have a son. God had promised, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a descendant. And yet, no descendant comes. And after 10 years of trying, Sarah comes up with the idea, here, take my handmaiden. And as the culture of the day, this was actually practiced, she will bear children in my name. She will bear a child for me as my child. So Abraham says, well, okay. So mama said, I guess that's what we're going to do. Still paying for that choice, by the way. Conflict that continues in the Middle East today is the conflict between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac. All right, so Hagar has a son. His name is Ishmael. The son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son, Abraham's son by the free woman, was born as a result of God's promise. It was 15 years later. Abraham's about 100 years old. Abraham is past the time of being able to father a child. He's 100 years old. Are there any doubts here in the room this morning? Uh, the uh, the And hope... In hope against hope, it says, Abraham believed. Abraham believed God's promise when there didn't seem to be any reason to keep believing God's promise. And yet Abraham believed it. Abraham believed God's promise. And he has a son born not according to his human ability, but according to God's promise. The only reason Isaac, the son born to Sarah, was born is because God promised it. And God said, when it's impossible for you, I'm going to make it happen. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's God's promise. All right. So we have two sons. Tale of two sons born to two mothers. These things are taken figuratively. This is a picture for us, he says. The women represent two covenants. One is the covenant from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. There's Mount Sinai. That's the mountain where the law was given to Moses. And children, as a result of that, are slaves. They're in bondage to that law. That's Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem, still bound in that same law. So those who would come from Jerusalem and go to these, these towns in Galatia and tell those new Christians there, hey, by the way, you still have to keep the law, you know, they were bringing that bondage and putting it back upon them. Okay? Okay? He goes on. There's a contrast. It's a tale of two mothers. Now, that, that, the, the Hagar stands for Mount Sinai. In Arabia, corresponds to present-day Jerusalem because she is in slavery along with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. It is written, he, he now picks up from Isaiah chapter 40, or, or 54, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who, will ha- who have had no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. That, that Isaiah, that Isaiah prophecy, so many years later, a thousand years later perhaps, is now Picturing, again, in a broader sense, exactly what happened with Sarah and Hagar. Sarah was, was um, first of all, she has no, she's not able to bear a son. And then it's rubbed in her face by her handmaiden when she has, is able to have Sarah's son that Sarah could not have. It wasn't Abraham's problem, you see. It was Sarah's problem. She's barren. She's fruitless. She cannot have a child. And, it, and, and, and the scripture says back in Genesis that Hagar began to look at her at her at Sarah differently. After that, she looked down on her. After that, and so now Sarah is all the more distraught in the in this situation, and yet God meets her there, and God gives her a child by promise he says rejoice sarah when you are not able to when you have not been able to you're going to have and your descendants are going to be multiplied and the whole world is going to be blessed in ways that you don't yet realize and that ends up happening yes yes the the son of hagar ishmael has had influence in the world but far greater the son of promise born to sarah isaac from isaac comes jacob from jacob comes israel from israel comes judah and from judah comes jesus who is not only a blessing to all of israel but is a blessing to all the nations in him we have life all the world has been blessed in that promised descendant from sarah but it didn't look like it at the time It didn't look like it at the time. That's his point here. That's Israel's experience later. When Isaiah writes there in Isaiah 54, that's Israel's experience. They're, They're in captivity, and it looks like it's over, but it's not. In the midst of those difficult circumstances, there doesn't seem to be any hope for the future. Where is the hope of God's promise? It's not over. It's desolate now. It seems barren now, but God is going to bring them back. God is going to restore them. God is going to keep his promise. All of that's in that story. And he says, that story about Sarah, and the point is this, Sarah ends up, even when it didn't seem believable, Sarah ends up, Sarah and Abraham believe God's promise. And out of God, believing God's promise, comes life. And it changes everything. They had no idea how much it was going to change. And he says, this, this tale of two mothers is illustrating a spiritual point. That you can live in bondage of the law, like Ishmael, or you can live on the basis of God's promise like out of the promised descendant, Jesus, who has given us life. But the two don't go together. He said the two can't dwell together. In fact, how hard was it for Abraham when Sarah told him, Hagar and Ishmael have to go? It, Hagar looks down on me. Ishmael is now picking on your son Isaac. Ishmael's over 15, and Isaac is just a a baby. Who knows what's going to happen? The son of the bondwoman cannot be an heir alongside of the son of the free woman. Uh, Cannot be an heir alongside of the son according to promise. And what that picture, that the two can't dwell together, as hard as that is for Abraham, both of these boys are Abraham's son. Think about that. We have Ishmael and Isaac still living in the world today, but both of them are descendants of Abraham. Did Abraham want to send his son out? Did Abraham want to kick his son out of the home? Oh, he's 15. Maybe he can make it in the world now, he and his mom. Maybe he's going to look after his mom now. Didn't seem like it at first. It seems seems a pretty harsh way to treat this single mom and her teen son, doesn't it? to throw them out of the family estate and let them fend for themselves out in the wilderness. That seems harsh. It is so harsh because that's how sharp the line has to be between are we going to live by promise or are we going to live by keeping law and rules. They do not go together, no matter how harsh or that diffi- how difficult that is for us to accept. That's the point out of that story, okay? They don't go together. Now, just so you don't lose sight of God's character, did God take care of Hagar and Ishmael? Back in Genesis, oh yes, he did. He met them in the way. He met them in their point of need. In fact, Hagar calls him, you are the God who sees. And he says, I'm going to make Ishmael a great nation. Yeah, here is Ishmael, so I am going to grow Ishmael into a great nation as well. (laughs) They got all the oil. Go figure. The Lord has a sense of humor. But his promise is going to come from the child of promise. The, prom, the child that Abraham and Sarah could not produce on their own means because this life that you and I have in Christ will not be produced by our own means. It will be produced in us by Christ, by God's promise, by the Spirit dwelling in us. Okay. So, Moms. If we're going to take something, we got to get back to Mother's Day here. If we're going to take something, there is a legacy of promise that moms illustrate from the ancient Old Testament in a way that matters today. What about for you? Sarah had no idea how long her legacy of believing God would, would continue, how far into the future that would reach. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I know what it's like to be a dad. I listen in on what it's like to be a mom, and there's a tenderness of mom's heart that cares for her children, that gives, that sacrifices, that meets needs for their best, for their care. That's why Hagar Hagar is also weeping for her child when she thinks, I can't can't provide for him. I can't preserve his life. And God meets her need there. In each of their cases, then, these are women who entrust their children to God, as you must, as you must. There's a heritage of faith. The best thing, moms, the best thing that you can do, the longest-reaching thing you can do for your children is to lay down a legacy of faith. To live a legacy of freedom in Christ for your children. It's not just a matter of you believe these right things then things will be okay. You live right and you believe right and things will be okay. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about live a legacy of faith. What you want to give to your children most of all in this evil age is is a habit of leaning forward on God a habit of trusting God when it doesn't make sense a habit of believing God's promise even when you don't yet see the answer of it live a legacy of freedom and faith in Christ before your children in a way that even if they don't seem to be paying attention yet it'll matter you don't know how it'll matter you don't know how far ahead that'll reach Sarah had no idea how far this was gonna go. She didn't even think it could at first. Hagar had no idea what would be the future for her son, and yet she believed God. She said, God, you see my need. I will entrust myself and my son to you. Out in the wilderness, living radical faith. You don't know the effect and reach, but live in that spiritual freedom that God has given us. The best way to leave a legacy is to live free in Christ yourself. Let your life be that that demonstrates faith in Christ before your children, before others. Application number two out of that story, Tale of Two Mothers, would be the children's side of it. What are you going to do with the legacy that you've been given? You have been given a heritage. Many of you grow up in church and take it for granted. You don't know what you've got, because you don't know the other side of it. And you, like Adam and Eve in the garden, want to wander out there and check out the other side of it, because you don't know what you've got. It's for you to live in that legacy. Sarah's sons did not always. Sarah's son did not always live in that legacy of faith. But but they return to it, and you see that legacy of faith continuing in that family line. Maybe your family line wasn't so much a legacy of faith. Maybe the family tree is is taking a new turn or a new branch with you and your faith. Maybe you're going to live in a in a family legacy that is more represented by this church family. The church is called the household of God, the family of God. And you have been joined into God's family, that God is your Father. You are a joint heir with Christ, and now you're going to live in this new legacy in your family, and you need others in the family around you that you can live and walk and serve and grow with. You don't want to be on our own out in the wilderness. Will you live in a legacy? If it even is not perfect, will you live in a legacy that's been handed down to you you see the alternative for Christians all too often is for us to 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 be satisfied with stunted growth to settle for stunted growth when we could be living out the fullness of a legacy of freedom in Christ this passage warns us do not settle for stunted growth that's the way the chapter starts he closes that that deal with let me tell you about two mothers it's Mother's Day I moved that up front it's my prerogative I could do that it kept the moms happy just let me get away with that but now what's the point out of that the point out of that is in chapter chapter 4 verse 1 what I'm saying is as long as you're an heir as long as the heir is a child as long as you stay childlike you're gonna be a whole lot like a servant children don't have a lot of rights in the sense of they can do whatever they please no they do what mama says right Yeah, there it is. There's one mama telling it like it is. Absolutely. Amen. Preach it. But as they grow up, as they grow up, sorry moms, you lose some of that, don't you? Like it or not, you lose some of that. What you want to replace, you don't want them always living according to what mama says or what their dad says. You want them living according to what the Lord says whether you like it or not will there be times when the Lord puts a call on your son or your daughter's life that is not the kinda thing you were hoping for you were hoping they would stay close you would you were hoping they would live just down the street and there they would raise up the kids your grandkids and they would all play together and you would get the babysit on the days that you wanted to and not on the days when you didn't and it was all gonna be wonderful and then like our family, they took the grandkids away to Africa. And you were thinking, what are they doing? Only what God said. Are you, are you laying out a, a pattern already that you would encourage them to do whatever it is the Lord says, no matter the cost? That as a child, while they're listening to you, while they listen to you and they watch you from you, they are learning that I am going to follow the Lord no matter the, cro- the co- no matter the cost. No matter what cross. Don't settle for stunted growth. A child's no different from a slave. Don't settle for that. First three verses. The basics, the basics that we learn in life, the basics that we we attune to, that we also, also end up following spiritually. Look at look at verse three. When we were children, we were in slavery. We were in bondage under the basic principles of of the world. Basic principles that Christ has set us free from. Verse 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the full rights as Son, that we might grow up, that we might live by faith, not by law, that we might live in freedom, not in bondage, that we might live in a fullness of life that is real, not in a flat, two-dimensional caricature of what we think Christianity is supposed to Look like. No, no. We're going to live in the fullness of that life that we have in Christ by the power of His Spirit. Not according to basic principles. What is that basic principles? The basic principles of the world rather than according to Christ. What's that look like? Well, even a child knows that. Even the child initially calls out, that's not fair. Things are supposed to go a certain way. I'm in the center of the universe and things are supposed to revolve around me. And there are powers out there that I know that are greater than me. For a child, they're called mom and dad. There are powers out there that are greater than me, but I will learn very quickly that those powers can be manipulated to get what I want. And we transfer the basic principles of the manipulation of power from parents to God. And God's like that all across the religions of the world. There is this spiritual power that can be manipulated based upon what I do and don't do. Sometimes it's very upfront and in your face, and whether it's animistic Africa, whether it's it's neat and tidy Christianity, if we do certain things, we can manipulate God into doing certain things. You know, the Israelites thought like this. The Israelites thought there's no way God is going to hold us accountable. There's no way God's going to send other nations in and overrun Jerusalem because God's temple is here. As long as we keep the temple, as long as we keep the doors open, as long as we keep bringing sacrifices as pitiful as they are, as long as we keep going through the motions and filling the squares, God's going to have to keep his deal. God says, No, 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 no. I am not manipulated. There's an Old Testament story about, uh, uh, about a prophet named Balaam and his donkey. Sometimes the donkey was smarter than Balaam. It's, it's in the book of Numbers, about chapter 24, if you want to read it at some point. But, but one of the interesting elements of that is Balaam, although he wants to please the king of Moab and pronounce a curse over God's people, he wants to do that, but God will not let him. So this king of Moab named, this king of Boab named Balak, Balak and Balaam, they're easily confused, The king of Moab named Balak, he he says, hey, come over here and I want you to pronounce a curse. Balaam comes along, he pronounces a blessing because that's what God told him to say. So Balak says, huh, it's not what I wanted you to do. But tell you what, you come over here and maybe if we come over here, change the location, maybe from over here you can pronounce a curse. Can't do it that. Well, maybe if we change things, maybe come over here and try. And he figures if we get the wrong right place, if we go through the right motion, we can get God to do what we want. This manipulation of spiritual powers. Easily. Easily as Christians we do that too, don't we? If we do the right things, God will bless. And when it doesn't happen, the blessing according to what we had imagined Like the little child, we cry out, God, that's not fair. That's not fair. I did this. I did this. I thought I was doing the things that you said. So why didn't it go the way that I wanted? Basic principles. We're freed from that. We're freed out of the basic principles of cause and effect by a much greater cause who has come into the world. Jesus had a mother. Born fully into humanity. Born into humanity and born under bondage of the law that he would grow up and as a man he would die. From infancy into maturity. And what maturity looked like was not how things were supposed to be for me. What maturity looked like spiritually in Jesus and in you and I is laying our lives down. That's why in the book of I think it's Peter. Peter says says that um, confusing thing about how, how women will be sanctified through the bearing of children. And by bearing of children, it's referring to the whole raising up of children process, and you know that applies to all of us, whether it is your own baby and in and, and the pain of childbirth and the heartbreak of child rearing and the and the expended energy of pouring yourself out. Whether that's for your own children that you bear up or whether it's for others in life that you give yourself to, the principle is the same. Our sanctification, our growth, our spiritual development, our moving from children into spiritual maturity comes as we, like Christ, give ourselves for others. And as our reading in 1 Thessalonians, that's a great spiritual analogy, isn't it? That's a great spiritual analogy. You see that. You see that lived out. You see that demonstrated. And we get that. We see that there's something about a mother's sacrifice, the nurturing, a nurturing, caring mother of caring for others' needs, staying up late, neglecting her own needs for the sake of others. So something about Christ there. There's something about that father who cares for and looks out for and meets the need of his children. When you see that in life here, you say, there's something about God our Father there. That's what it's supposed to look like. The giving of myself away for the sake, for the benefit, for the growth to maturity for others that they might live in the fullness of real life. But they will never live in that fullness of real life if that's not what they've seen in us. If they've seen a flat picture of what we think the Christian life should look like within these boundaries... That's what they'll also grow into. The best way for us to help somebody else grow into that maturity that Paul is is calling for here in Galatians chapter 4 is for us to live in that freedom rather than the bondage. To step beyond the, the boundaries the or or the or the concern about the boundaries and rather press into this life of Christ this life by the Spirit that you should be hungry for even if you don't fully get how does that work and that's okay that's okay actually to set up that tension you know why because chapter 5 is all about answering that thirst How do I live then? If it's not by boundaries, if it's not by rules, if it's not of the bondage of Hagar, how do I live according to God's promise, which is the Spirit? That's Galatians chapter 5. That's next week. You'll have to come back. I'm sorry. That's just the way it works. One chapter at a time around here. But, you know, there are ways. Let me give you just three, three PRs. Four pressing into that real life in Christ. It is living by God's promise. It is by prayer, and it is in God's presence. Now, careful about prayer. Careful about prayer. We think, well, in fact, I've got a friend who reminds me all the time. It irritates me. He just smiles and says, well, more prayer, more blessing. Less prayer, less blessing. And I realize, well, I'm not praying enough. i going to grumble a little bit within myself, but I keep the smile on outside. There he comes again. More prayer, more blessing. And his life's looking so good, too. Everything is great. And if only I prayed more like he did, I could have, my life could be going better like he. Be careful. I have heard it said that prayer is powerful. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Now you're wondering, what in the world is the pastor talking about? Prayer is not necessarily powerful. Our God is powerful. It is not the mechanics of your prayer that have any power. Our prayers are only effectual because our God is powerful. And so we commune with him in prayer because he hears us. He is the God who sees. He is the God who answers our prayer. And in his answer, there is power. So, yeah, prayer. Yeah, living within his presence. We walk with the Lord in the light of his word. When we, when we walk in the light, 1 John says, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We experience the presence of God, the fullness of that spirit within. Oh, Getting the spirit, more of that next week. But to get the sense of it, though, it is not, it's, it's not even the mechanics of what I will do in the Christian life, even prayer. If I pray more, then more ble- No, 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 no. The fullness of life is not by any rules, but it is believing God's promise, walking by his spirit, living by his spirit. You know, there's, a, there, there's an interesting statement here at the, at the end of, well, in, it's actually in the middle, in, chapter, in, in verse 11. He says, I, I, I fear for you. This is pastoral concern for Paul. It's a pastoral concern of mine. I fear for you. I fear for you who know the Lord. I fear for you who have believed in Christ, but who are living a flat, two-dimensional caricature, coloring-within-the-lines type of Christian life. I fear for you you know that kind of christian life that picture of a flower rather than the fullness of the flower itself that picture of a flower has no fragrance has no life has no real beauty and texture to it it has no depth and intricacy that shows the fullness of the creator's hand at work that causes us to marvel and that same thing the difference between the flower and the picture is what our lives In Christ, should be for people all around us. I fear for you. I fear for you that you would continue as children in bondage rather than living in the freedom and the fullness of of sons of the living God. Our goal as a church, and your goal then as a Christian. Your goal as a mother and father, whether it be within your own family or whether it be that you, whom you will be that for within the body of Christ and to those who don't know the Lord, our goal is to lead them from infancy into maturity. Look at verse 13. Well, verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me For I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial, you did not treat me with contempt. You did not treat or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel from God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. You welcomed me. In the midst of trouble, Paul comes to them. You know, trouble, trouble can be an opportunity for ministry. In the midst of life, in the midst of your circumstances, good news, folks. In the midst of trouble, that's where ministry can happen. In the midst of the mess of life, that is where you can show the grace of God. How do you endure this? I think of Brian and Jenny. Brian and Jenny Epp. If you don't know their story, Brian has has ALS, and Jenny right now is going going through chemo treatment for cancer. They're a young couple. They have three young boys. And yet both of them in, with these kind of illnesses. And yet they radiate the joy of the Lord more than anything, so they don't want their churches, they don't want their friends' sympathy. And, oh, we're so it's so, it, it's so sad that this is... That's not what they want. They want to see the Lord's hand at work. They want us as a church to remind them of, of the power and the greatness and the bigness of our God and what He is doing in the midst of the circumstances of life, no matter how it looks from our short-term limited perspective. Brian, this last week,'s been in Washington, D.C. in an ALS advocacy thing going on, meeting, meeting different members of Congress and so forth. And Jenny here at home has just been starting her chemo treatments this week, having a rough time of it. But in the midst of those circumstances and sufferings, you know what they're doing? They say, "In the midst of this difficulty, this is where we want to see. We want others to see God's grace in our lives. Things are great. Things are easy. You've got it together. Where's God's grace there? But when you're Sarah, and when your husband Abraham's 100 years old, and there is no hope of ever having a son, and God meets you there, when there's nothing you can do for yourself, and you need God's grace poured out and unfolded in your life, there's the chance for others to see it and say, wow. Not look what they can cobble together. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. And you know, difficult circumstances are an opportunity for ministry. Not only my difficult circumstances where God's grace can be shown, but in somebody else's circumstance. Give you an example you bump into people at work. You have people that you work alongside. You have neighbors that you know somewhat casually. You wish that you knew them more. You wish that you had the opportunity to talk about spiritual things together. You would love to tell them more about Christ, but you don't want to force it. You want the opportunity. And they bring up some time. They're just not looking well. They're looking troubled. And you say, what's, what's wrong? You look, like, you look like there's something going on. There's some trouble that you're, you're having. And they tell you something about it. And there you say, would it be all right if I prayed for you this week? I love this praying for you model. It's that simple. And then do it. Have them on your heart through the week. Go back to them. Hey, I've been praying for you. What's going on? And how are you doing? And what you've done in that is you are caring for them. And it's not that you're doing nothing. You're not saying, be warm, be filled. You are doing something. You are, at, you are the mediator between them and the God of the universe, asking him to act on their behalf. You are doing something, as well as expressing real, genuine, sincere spiritual care for them. Now, if you say, I'll pray for you, and you don't, and you go back and you ask them, hey, what was that? You were having some trouble. What was that all about? Again, I don't really remember, but I, th- I remember there was something. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think I kind of prayed for you some. No, that's not genuine spiritual care, is it? But when you exercise that genuine spiritual care and follow up with them, somebody, you would be the eyes upon them of the God who sees. You see it? In the midst of trouble of this life, as we exercise, even as a family, as a church family together, spiritual care for others that matters. That makes a difference. That giving of ourselves for that is leading from infancy to maturity. One more example. Verse 17. I've got to get back to the parenting theme here. So verse 17. There are people who are zealous to win you over, he says. They want you to follow them. They want you to follow them into the rules brigade. But it's not for good. That what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be, you may be zealous for them. It's good to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, but to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, this is what I want to get to, my dear children. Paul says, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth. Boy, is Paul mixing his metaphors here or what? Paul says, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth again until now. He's identifying with that pain and suffering of childbearing from birth, into life, and through life, wait till they become teens. And then after that, and they're on their own, and they still wear you out emotionally because you care for them, because your greatest greatest burden is for their blessing. And you have no control over it any longer. It'll be based upon God's promise, and that drives us to our knees, and it drives us into his presence. But we do that, that parenting model then for ministry. We do that as a church as well, don't we? It's illustrated in family, and it's illustrated in church family. And I wanted to close by us practicing that as a church family. We had, I, I mentioned, we have we have planned uh, two families doing child dedications today, and I'm going to invite them to come forward now. Kenny and Evie Ring, and uh, also Sheila Moore is going to be bringing. It's going to be bringing Emma. You're going to get Emma, okay? So Sheila's going to going to go and get Emma. So I see there there are Kenny and Evie. They'll come up first. What we do with a child dedication, we are actually, it's a parent child dedication, isn't it? These parents are dedicating themselves to raise this child as we've described here from God's Word. They said, I'm going to raise, we're going to raise our children this way. And there's a role for us as a church that we make a commitment to them as parents. So I'm going to ask them to make a commitment in your presence today, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And return a commitment back to them as a church family, all right? So this is this is Evie and Kenny Ring. And you've been here you've been here at brush pray for how long? About a, year and a half. About a year and a half. and this is Kaylin and Clara. Is that right? That's right. All right, Clara and Kaylin. Hi. Yeah. All right. I I get to scare the children. Okay. And uh, do, you, do you commit? I'm going to take some words from Deuteronomy 6 and also Ephesians 6. Will you, yourselves, the two of you, will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might? By God's grace, will you press yourselves after your walk with the Lord? Will you take the words and the promises of God and put them first of all on your own heart? Will you take those words and promises of God? Will you teach them diligently to Clara and Kalen? Will you talk of God's promises? Will you talk of God's word? Will you talk about the character of God as you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down in the evening, when you rise up in the morning? Will you, in the words of Ephesians 6, endeavor not to frustrate your children, not to exasperate them, but rather to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, that they might know Him? All right. And you, as a church congregation, as a church family, as this family endeavors to raise their children in the Lord, will you give yourselves sacrificially to this family for the sake of their children? Will you commit yourself even to serve in the different means that we have to come alongside families, whether it's mentoring as parents, whether it's serving alongside them in Sunday schools or nurseries and pre-K and vacation Bible camps? Will you give of your time, your wisdom, your talents, and your resources? If you will, then stand up and say, we will. Then let us pray together. Let's pray first for Kalen. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for this little girl. Lord, we ask your blessing upon her. We pray that she will learn from her parents and from this church family. Lord, she will, she will learn of the Lord Jesus Christ. She will learn of the promises of God. Father, we would ask that she would, she would grow in the grace and knowledge of God and that she would come at an early age, Lord, to know Jesus as Savior. That she would see in her parents and she would see in us what it is to, to know and to walk with the Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we pray for Clara. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for Clara that you also, Lord, would, would grow her in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that you would raise her up to know Jesus Christ as her own Savior, that you would give her parents, Lord, Kenny and Evie, you, you would give them grace and wisdom, Lord, that you would give us as a church family around her to help them as they raise her. To be alongside of her, Lord, to be other friends and aunts and uncles and grandparents, Lord, that would that she could learn of Jesus from, that she would see Jesus in. And that would be a blessing to her as you raise her up to walk with you. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, Amen. Amen. You guys will stay here just for a moment. I'm going to ask Sheila, Sheila Moore and little Emma. I've gotten to know little Emma through a couple of visits. Emma's a lot of fun. You need to get to know Emma. Come on up, Emma. You people are scary. You see, that's the thing. Come on up, Sheila. That's all right. I'm shy, too. Yes. This is Sheila. I'm going to ask you the same question that I uh, that, that asked before. Will you love the Lord, first of all, with all your own heart? With all your soul, will you press after your own knowledge of and walking with the Lord Jesus as Savior? Will you will you take the words and the promises of God first of all into your own heart, and and then will you commit to taking the words and the promises of God, and will you diligently impart them to Emma? Will you talk about them along the way, and when you sit down at home? Will you talk about them when you lay down to sleep at night and when you rise up in the morning around the breakfast table? Yes. Will you endeavor as mom to, to not frustrate Emma, and hopefully she won't frustrate you, <laughs> but to raise her up in the training and instruction of the Lord? Yes. And again, will you church family, Will you commit to give yourselves your wisdom, your talent, your time, your treasure, your participation alongside Sheila to help her and to walk alongside her as she raises up this little girl? If you do, then say, I will. Then let us pray for Emma. Heavenly Father, we want to pray for Emma too. We want to ask your blessing upon her, Father. We want to pray that she, too, would know of Jesus Christ at an early age, but not merely to know him as Savior. Father, she would learn what it is to walk with him. Lord, that even in the midst of ministry here, that she would know what it is also not only to be served but to serve. She would see from us and step into her own life, giving her life away for others. Father, we pray that you would show yourself to her lord through her mom you would show yourself to her especially through your word you would show yourself to her lord even through this church family we ask this together in jesus name and all who agree said amen. amen all right we have we have a couple of gifts that we it's it's a tradition here at the church just in the way that we want to commit ourselves to wrapping ourselves around you as a church family we have a blanket for you it's okay and as, as, you, as you seek to give the Word of God to her and grow her up knowing how great is our God, then this book will hopefully be help from us in doing that. And for you too as well. We've lost one. Yeah. Already? Church! <laughs> okay. Well, for, 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 both, for both girls then, this is just uh, our symbolic way of wrapping ourselves around you. As a church family. She's pushing your way already, folks. I'm sorry about that. And again, a, a, a book of children's Bible stories to share with the kids as you seek to grow Thank them you. in knowing God. Very nice. All right. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we have, we have spoken, Lord, of giving ourselves, Lord, in living this legacy. Father, it's as we give ourselves that there, There we would even grow in knowing our Savior himself, the one who came not to be served but to serve, to give his life a ransom from any. Lord, if we have learned anything from our own moms, if we have learned anything about what parenting takes, Father, would you show us as well how to give ourselves away for others and there to live in the life of Christ for your glory. Father, as this offering is received now, even as we have this opportunity, whether in some way of serving or whether in, in out of the, the abundance that you have given us, Lord, as we give back now, Father, would you take these gifts offered freely, Lord? Would you use them, Lord, for your glory and for, for, for ways by which we would minister to those around us who need Jesus? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.